Romans and chapter 14. I think we left off in around verse 9 or so last week. So let's just go ahead and pick it up with verse 10. Romans 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, let's stop there for now. I'd like to get down through the passage here tonight, but we'll take a break there for a second. Paul, if you remember, uh, is talking about coming into this chapter. He's talking about what we call doubtful things, things that are not uh, bad or good in and of themselves, but things that people uh, sometimes have problems with. The specific examples that he gives in this passage are meats, dietary things. Some people have uh, religious issues with what to eat and what not to eat. And days, holy days, or unholy days. And, and he says one person considers all days alike and another one thinks that some days are uh, more holy and, and sacred than others. And the idea up until this point has been, let uh, I'll tell you what, let's read the verse, back in chapter 14 and verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And that's the the gist of those first nine verses or so, is not to uh, for the for the stronger brother. He says the weaker brother doesn't eat certain kinds of meat because it offends his conscience toward God. Now we know that in this dispensation we can eat whatever we would like to eat. There is no restrictions like there was uh, under the Old Testament. But all of those those dietary restrictions that were there were the things clean and unclean and so forth were there to teach the people of God uh, how, to, how to distinguish uh, holy from unholy and to, and, and to live a life of separation and so forth. Now you and I, our sanctification, our separation from things unholy is in the heart. And the and all of those shadows of the Old Testament were only uh, uh, dim pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that the Lord has come, we don't walk in those shadows anymore. So we understand that, and we know that we that's our our liberty that we have in Christ. That those. Old Testament uh, kind of ceremonial type uh, restrictions are gone. The uh, but so he says, if you know that and you understand that, but your brother doesn't, and he can't bring himself to eat a ham sandwich because he thinks that that's going to offend, be offensive to God. 
Well, you don't look at him and and uh, despise him, Paul says. You don't look down on him just because he doesn't know everything that you know or his conscience isn't as, as strong or he's not as mature as you are. Paul says we that are uh, strong in chapter 15, verse 1, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the stronger brother who understands the doctrine and his conscience is, is fully uh, acclimated to it, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't lord that over the weaker brother, or at least he ought not. In turn, the weaker brother, Paul instructs him not to look at the one who's eaten the ham sandwich, or whatever it is, you know, these, these things that Paul are, is giving here are examples, but there are literally, you know, scores and hundreds of different things that you could probably name uh, without too much thought that fit under this category. Things that, that God does not say one way or the other, you know, thou shalt not, or, or whatever it is, but that the culture and the society sees as being uh, undesirable, or at least it starts out undesirable, pretty soon the undesirable thing becomes a sin, even though God's Word obviously hadn't changed in the meantime, but societal attitudes change. So the, the one who doesn't partake has a temptation then to look at the one who does and say, well, I'm holier than him. He's indulging the flesh, and I'm and I'm keeping my uh, myself pure and so forth. And Paul says, "Don't do that either. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind." And the argument is that we do what we do as unto the Lord. The one who is eating is eating as unto the Lord and gives God thanks. The one who is not partaking is not partaking as unto the Lord and gives God thanks. So let's allow each other the liberty that we demand uh, be allowed for ourselves. I can allow my brother the, the liberty to, uh, to be weak and to, and to you know allow him the time to, uh, to mature. So, okay, so that, up until now, that's been the idea. Basically, in these doubtful things, live and let live, kind of, a, kind of an attitude. Now, Paul's going to take us further and, and higher. Verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For so Paul here, as we come into this uh, into verse ten in the in the latter half of the chapter here, Paul asks a question of those two brethren, the weaker and the stronger, and he asks the stronger brother. He says, um, "Why do you?" Well, he asks the weaker brother first. He says, "Why do you judge your brother?" He's asking them the question. Why do you do it? And then we ought to ask ourselves that question. Why do we do it? Why do we judge one another? What is it? What's going on inside of us that prompts us to do that? Second question is to the is to the stronger. Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? Why are you going to look down on him? Why are you going to why do you think less of him? Why do you do that? And I would submit to you that the reason that we do that the reason that those two people who are very opposite sides of these issues are doing what they're doing for the exact same reason and it's pride 
It's it's to it's to make myself is to is to lift myself up, to puff myself up. If I can look at someone else and say you're doing something wrong, and then if I can say I don't do that, well, you know, then then I just make myself who I something inside of me, you know, needs to needs for me to be. Now those two questions at the head of this. Uh, kind of turning, and Paul does turn a corner here in uh, in verse ten and, and and on down. Those those questions are, are are pivotal to what Paul is about to go into here, and that is a um, a maturing of of all of us. You've got in this situation a brother who thinks he's mature because he allows himself the liberty to do what he does. Another brother who thinks he's mature because he uh, is holier than than the other brother. And Paul's looking at them both and he's saying, you both need to grow up. And here's how you're going to do it. Here's the next step. Let me take you to the next level. So he says, the first thing you want to do is you want to think to yourself. You want to be self-critical. Uh, not uh, seeing bad, but critical thinking about yourself. Why do you do what you do? Why do I judge my brother? Why do I set it not my brother? It's because I need to exalt myself. Now, where that brings us and where it's going to bring us in, in the rest of the passage is that I, as a Christian, it is, it is the, the essence of the Christian life to stop wanting and trying to exalt myself and allow Christ to do His work in me. To see myself for who I am in Christ. That's the whole point of where we're, of where we're moving here. To stop looking. See, if, I, if I'm walking through life reckoning my position in Christ, I have no need to exalt myself by putting down someone else because that that brother eating, not eating, observing the day, not observing the day has nothing to do with what Christ has done for us. If he eats, it doesn't change what Christ did. If he doesn't eat, it has nothing to do with what Christ did. If my uh, value, my sense of self-worth comes from what Christ has done, then how does what that brother does in, in, in this context affect me? It doesn't. So Paul tells us, ask the question. He asks the question. And he, and he starts us off there. Now we go down. So why do you judge your brother? Why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You and I, we're all going to answer. The brother who partakes and exercises his liberty, the brother who abstains and, and would rather not, we're all going to stand before the Lord. And his motives may be pure, and your motives may be pure, and his motives may be impure, and your motives may be impure. We'll all find that out when we stand before the Lord. But I can't see that brother's heart, and neither can you, and you can't see mine. And for the most part, neither can I see mine. So Paul says, I don't, I, I'm not worried about being judged by you. I don't judge my own self. Because I don't know. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? The Lord 
knows my heart, so he'll tell me when I get there. In the meantime, I'm just going to be busy uh, about obeying him. And I'll leave those things uh, up to him at the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So you and I are going to going to stand before the Lord in judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Now this, uh, we're, we're actually it's we, we've kind of converged uh, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights here. Sundays we've been talking about things concerning the judgment seat. In fact, we're going to address it specifically this coming Sunday, so we won't go into too much detail here. But uh, you and I are going to stand before the Lord as a judge. Paul says, um, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Here, come look at that with me. Second Timothy. We'll wake you up let you turn a few pages. Second Timothy. Chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we get the idea that because we live under grace, that we're never going to be judged. That's just not true. Paul says over and over and over again, Paul talks more about the judgment seat of Christ and the things that are going to be happening there than as much or more than he does any other subject. He's constantly talking about the day of Christ and what's going to happen there and looking forward to it. And, and don't faint because you're going to be rewarded. Your labor is not in vain. And, and, and you know that you'll receive the reward of the inheritance and, and, and the, uh, the, the eternal glory that we have coming in the suffering of the this present time is not worthy to be compared to it. He's always talking about that judgment that's coming, that judgment seat of Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which, watch it, the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Paul is looking forward to standing before the Lord as judge. And we all will. The righteous judge. We will all stand before him back in, in Romans chapter 14. That's, Paul's, uh, that's what Paul says here. So, his, his, his meaning there and his emphasis is really twofold. He says, you're looking at the other brother and what he does, don't worry about him. The Lord is going to judge him. He's already told us in the passage, why do you judge another man's servant? Before his own master he'll stand or fall, and God is able to make him stand. So, in looking at the other brother, we think of the judgment seat of Christ. And we say, well, he's going to stand before the judgment seat one day. And it, it, it's, it's all of our concern that we all do well at the judgment seat of Christ. But when it comes to these things that have to do with motive and conscience and, and heart and the, the act itself is neither good nor bad, we got to leave that, you know, leave that be. So when I'm looking at the at, at my brother, I think of the judgment seat of Christ, and I say he's going to stand before the Lord. The Lord will sort all of this out for him. But there's a second uh, focus here, and that is that I'm going to stand before the Lord, and it's not just the person I'm looking at. 
But I'm going to have to give an answer for myself and the attitudes that I took toward that brother and whether I despised him or set him at naught or judged him or uh, saw him as, as somehow uh, overindulgent. Or, you know, when his, his heart was perfectly pure and he was doing it, praising God for his liberty. And God was smiling at him and perfectly pleased, and I'm grumbling over in the corner. I'm going to have to answer for that. So that's a that's kind of a two uh, a twofold motivation there in this context that judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, verse eleven, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. He pulls a quote out of uh, out of Isaiah. Isaiah is, 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 I think, by far uh, Paul's favorite writer, and that's. And I haven't counted the references, so uh, you could, you might be able to prove me wrong on that. But boy, it seems to me like he quotes Isaiah three to one over, over anybody else. But uh, so he pulls that Old Testament reference out, and and the Lord says everyone is going to stand before me in judgment. Now there are some that are going to be judged for their sins. And, and praise God, you and I have already been judged for our sins at Calvary, at the cross. When we stand before the Lord, it's not an issue of uh, whether you're getting into heaven or not. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ, everybody there is going to heaven, just like everybody standing before that great white throne is not. So these are separate judgments, and you're not being uh, call, called to pay penalty for sins. That's not what this judgment is about. The judgment seat of Christ uh, evaluates our service and our walk as Christians. It's it's about it, it's about works, uh, not sins. In the in the context of, uh, of of being punished, the punishment is done. It was taken out on Christ. Nevertheless, we will all stand. It is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So, there's nothing hidden. Paul told us that way back early in Romans. That won't be brought out. That He's going to judge the secrets of men's heart by Paul's Gospel. Everything that we do, that we think you know, nobody sees, the Lord sees, and we're going to have to confess it. Um, every everyone will confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We won't turn there, but you remember the uh, the unjust steward. The the uh, the master got word that he was being foolish with uh, the master's goods, and he calls him in and he says, "Give account of your stewardship." I had to, he had to pull out the books. He had to say, here's what I did with this. Here's where I spent that. Here's where that went to. He had to, he had to come clean on everything. Well, that's, that's the idea here. What did we do with this Christian life? Paul says, redeem the time. How did we redeem it? How wise and, uh, and, and obedient were we with the time we spent as Christians here in this life? Let us not, therefore, verse 13, judge one another anymore. You notice that anymore? The idea, it's not just don't do it, but Paul assumes that we're already doing it because he knows what we are and he knows what he is and he knows how human beings are. He says, so let's not do it anymore. Let's stop. Let's take this opportunity right here to stop doing that. 
don't judge let us not judge one another anymore but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way so now Paul is going to take us uh, is going to take us a step further and and he's been talking about not judging and you know people get caught up sometimes on this you know judge not lest ye be judged and so forth and people use that idea to 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 just say well you know everybody should mind their own business and just let everybody do what they want to do don't judge lest lest you be judged that's not Paul's there's a specific context here he's talking about things that are that are neutral things that are neither good nor bad don't don't judge what are you going to judge on something that's not good or bad you can judge it neutral, I guess. How are you going to make a judgment on something that, that, that doesn't fall one way or the other? So that's what he's talking about. But he says, now here's something we can judge. You know, turn over to the right a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You, wanna, you don't want to get the wrong idea about this uh, judge not. We're not, you know, I mean, we understand what we understand. We know the doctrine that we do. And... <clears throat> And we know error when we see it, and and we know wickedness when we see it. And and Paul says to the Ephesians, not only ought we not be partakers with the uh, works of darkness, but rather reprove them and make manifest by the light and so forth. So there are definitely things for us to judge. First Corinthians chapter six. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So here Paul is scolding them for not judging, taking their judgments outside the church. If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren? So the idea that you know we ought never to judge everything, anything, and everybody ought to be just left alone to do whatever they want is just is just silly. It's not it's not biblical. There's a context to this. But in its context, we need to be sure to not judge. Back in Romans chapter 14. So judge this rather. Judge what, Paul? Romans 13, uh, 14 rather and verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know, now what Paul's about to do here is he's about to explain to us where these neutral things can become sin. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, verse 14, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, he's talking to the stronger brother now, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So now you have a, you have a situation where 
your here's a, here's a, the stronger brother in the passage, right? He knows what he can do and what he can't do. He's not the weak brother who eats herbs or observes days. He's the strong one. He knows the liberty that he has in Christ. But now what he does is he presses that liberty to the point that it causes the weaker brother to offend. Now, understand, when, we, when the Bible talks about causing someone to offend, there, there is offending someone, and then there is causing someone to offend. Okay, Causing someone to offend, the idea here is that that weaker brother who doesn't think it's right to eat meat sees you, the stronger one, eating the meat or doing whatever it is that we're talking about. He starts to go in his mind, well, then I guess that must be okay because this is a stronger brother, someone who maybe looks up to you and maybe you don't even know that they do. And then he is tempted to go in and to partake. The problem is that while you are partaking in your liberty with a clear conscience, giving glory to God, he's going to go in and partake and defile his own conscience because he thinks down in his head that he's being disobedient. So now what he has done is he has chosen to commit an act of disobedience. Even though the act itself, there's nothing unclean of itself. But if he esteems it to be unclean, to him it is in fact unclean. So now I, the stronger Christian, have pressed my liberty and refused to be told uh, uh, by, by this, you know, unknowing uh, uh, little legalist here what I can do and what I can't do so I'm going to flaunt it in front of him and he is going to be and and I'm going to cause him to sin because while for me it's not sin for him it is and because I'm doing it and, and making a show of it he is emboldened to do it and he's not ready his conscience is not in a place where he can exercise that kind of liberty. So now, what's happened? Well, we're, we were both fine before, me in my eating, him in his abstaining. Now, we've both sinned because of our attitude one toward another. And because I, you know, it's funny, Paul's been... Paul's been doing this uh, with us throughout this portion of Scripture. He's he's given us all that doctrine in those first you know eight eleven chapters there, and he's brought us kind of out of infancy and and given us a good solid foundation and told us about our about how how salvation is not by works and it's and and it's all by faith and it's all what Christ did. And then he talked about our sanctification and how that's all about what Christ did and our liberty and and how everything we have is in Christ and so forth. He made sure that we were settled and established in that. But now what he's doing, see, what that does is that kind of brings you out of infancy into a sort of adolescence. When I begin to understand my Christian liberty, there, there, there's, a, there's an adolescent phase 
that that a Christian goes through, and that it, kind of when you grow up and you get your independence, you get your driver's license, you get whatever it is as a as a as a kid, and you were always dependent on your parents before, but now boy, the world is your oyster, and you just go out and uh, and 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 push it. And overextend it, and you've got liberty, but you use your liberty now uh, for license, and that's a—it's an adolescent kind of a kind of an attitude toward life, and and. Then, so Paul's been telling us, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. You're not under the law. So once he's got us established in that, now he starts telling us how we can fulfill the law by love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Therefore, love one another and fulfill the law. After he spent all that time telling us that we weren't under the law, he says, okay, now that you got that, now let's step into adulthood. And let's understand that your liberty is not license, but that, but, but that there's a greater thing than my ability to eat meat or to esteem every day alike. The edification of the brethren is a greater thing than the exercise of of my liberty in their in their face. So you know, when I there's a, there's a lot of things that are like that. When I when I was a kid, there's a thousand things, and I won't be able to think of one now. When I when I when I was a kid, I used to like hanging out with my mom. We'd go to the store. I'm a little, you know, toddler, little tot, whatever, five, six, whatever years old. We'd go, and I'd hold her hand, and we'd walk to the store and do this, and I'd hang out with Mom. She was my world. We all understand how that works. And we love her, and we love it. But then as I got a little older, you know, 9, 10, 11, then, you know, come around 8, 9 years old, then I'm going, Ma, don't kiss me in front of my friends and all of that. And, and as I got into adolescence, I had, you know, no time for her at all. I mean, she was just totally in the way. You know, I mean, you know, mom, who wants to hang out with mom? You know, the kids who hung out with their mom, we used to, you know, make fun of. But then as I got older, I kind of started like liking hanging out and talking with mom again. And and, and a lot of things are like that. You know, we, we kind of come come back around full circle. Maturity oftentimes brings us back to the things that that were fundamental to begin with and that we kind of uh, uh, you know shot ourselves away from in a cannon during our during our adolescence and the Christian life is a lot like that in a lot of ways uh, you know and these things that we're talking about here are are examples of that we um, yes we have liberty it takes some growing up to learn about that. But then, you know, we're running around just, uh, you know, throwing our hands and feet up in the air and, and, and like crazy people uh, with our liberty. But there comes a time when we, when we start to mature and we go, you know what? Maybe this liberty needs to be reined in a little bit. Not because what I'm doing is displeasing to God, but because there are other people to consider here. And there's a maturity that kind of brings us back. To those, uh, to those fundamental things. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's, t- he's bringing us into the next step, into the next phase, into the next level of the, of the Christian life. 
further and further into maturity. Um, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block, that's in verse 13, or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Jesus told Paul. Paul uh, uh, uh Old Testament strict righteous uh, Jew, righteous according to the law, never never ate a pig in his life. Jesus told him there's nothing unclean of itself. And Paul says, I'm persuaded by the Lord himself that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. See, now all of a sudden it becomes thy meat. Back up in the chapter, in, earlier in the passage, verse 6 and 7, he was saying if, you're, if the brother's eaten, he's eaten unto the Lord. Everything we do is unto the Lord. Now all of a sudden it's your meat. Because you're waving it in the weaker brother's face and you're saying, you're not the boss of me. I have liberty in Christ and you can't tell me what to do. And you're, and you're causing him uh, grief. Now you're not walking charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Paul's talking about destroying someone. And what he's talking about is the same uh, destruction and death and damnation that he talked about back in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. The, the, uh, the decay of our Christian life and walk. He's not talking about being damned to hell or being destroyed in the flames or anything like that. He's talking that the whole thing is about our Christian walk. And he says you're going to destroy that brother in his, in his walk. You're going, to, you're going to tempt him to do what in his mind is a sin. And therefore, for him it is a sin. And he says, with your meat, you're going to destroy him for whom Christ died. So now I have my right to partake in this, whatever it is, versus Christ's life. And, and what Paul is saying here is, don't, don't press your rights and your liberty above what Christ gave His own life. He sacrificed your grasping Paul says, let it go. Yeah, it's yours. Yes, you can do it. But let it go if it's going to cause a problem like what he's talking about here for, uh, for your brother. He's saying, don't be flaunting your liberty if it's going to cause a problem. You know, somebody once said, we don't have the right to give up our liberty, but we have the liberty to give up our rights. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You don't, you don't go back to legalism and forego. You stand fast in the liberty. But when it comes to being face-to-face with, with, with a weaker brother and in your life around that person, and just as a testimony in general, we don't have to demand our rights all the time. Sometimes it's to other people's profit for me to forego voluntarily forego my right to partake of this, that, or the other thing. And that's walking charitably. Verse 17, uh, verse 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. You're doing good, but somebody else is grieved by it and is going is to speak evil. Now again, keep it in context. 
You go out and preach the gospel, somebody speaks evil about it, oh, I better stop doing that, I can't let my good be evil spoken of. You've got to keep it in context. We're talking about the things that we're talking about here, those, uh, those doubtful things. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I can't go around, you know, I know all about grace. You know, we all know all about grace. So we have the liberty to, to do whatever we want to do and in grace, you know what I mean, in the context of this kind of stuff. We can do this and we can do that and so forth. Okay, you have that knowledge. Great. Fantastic. But that's that partaking of those things that you, that you couldn't do under the law is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about meat and drink. It's not about pressing my liberty. It's about righteousness and peace and love and sacrificing for one another. Even if it is sacrificing my right to do this, that, or the other thing for the profit of that brother. Come over to uh, get 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. This chapter is all about this stuff. And, and you want to keep it in mind along with Romans 14. And boy, I'd like to just, you know, I think I will. I'm going to go down through here. And we've got a few minutes left. I think I can do this and still finish Romans 14. I'd like to just read this chapter. It's a short chapter. It's only 13 verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Now, we all know that, right? We have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. You know, say, I know my liberty in Christ. Well, good, you should. You don't know anything above what you ought to know anyway. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning therefore, so he lays that foundation in those first three verses there. And he says, you know, you know all this stuff. You got all this doctrine. You know about your liberty. Good. It's going to puff you up and make you proud and cause you to sin and cause you to make your brother to offend if you don't have charity along with it. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity builds up. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. So we know all of that. How be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Doesn't matter. So the meat itself is not the issue. Who cares? But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, 
sitteth meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge, through thy knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. This is... uh, Obviously, very similar to what we're reading in in Romans chapter 14. And again, Paul says, destroy not him for whom Christ died. Here he says the weaker brother is going to perish. Again, we're talking about the the, the Christian life and our growth and pressing toward the mark and, and someone's running the race and I'm going to throw a stumbling block in front of him. So he trips and he falls and he uh, uh, and, and just hindering him in his Christian walk. By my knowledge, you know, we talk a lot about doctrine and we got to know this stuff and and and, and truth, 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 and, and 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 amen to that. And I will keep saying it and 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 hopefully we all will. But truth by itself, Paul says, knowledge puffeth up, charity. Edify. We have to take that knowledge not only in our head but in our heart, and we ought, we need to love one another. Do what we do for another's profit, not just for our own. But when you now watch it, so now I've caused this weaker brother to to offend, cause him to perish for whom Christ died. Christ gave his life. Now I'm taking this brother's spiritual life, if temporarily. Uh, But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. See, that's why I said to you, now you've got a situation where the two people started out, neither one of them was in sin. They were both fine. They were both happy and the Lord was happy with what they were doing. One doing this, the other one doing that. Now they start looking at each other and all of a sudden they're both sinning. So I've sinned against my brother and when I did that I sinned against Christ. And he sinned against Christ because he sinned against his own conscience. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now there again, understand, Paul was not a vegetarian. He didn't because, yes, meat will make somebody to offend out there somewhere, therefore Paul never ate meat. No, he didn't eat it, in, he didn't flaunt it, he didn't eat it in front of them. He didn't, he didn't press this, uh, uh, this liberty over the well-being of, of his brethren. One more in Corinthians, as long as we're here. You want to see this in chapter 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, uh, same kind of a context in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10.23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So we're in the same kind of a context. Drop down verse 31. Whether therefore, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, just like Romans 14. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the 
the profit of many that they may be saved. In chapter 11, verse 1, it's in that context that Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So if you want to be Pauline, you want to be a follower of Paul, this is one primary uh, way that you do that. You do it in the doctrine but once you start pressing that, uh, uh, that liberty to the expense of the brethren and you do it in pride rather than uh, acting in charity, you have stopped following Paul. Because Paul took that truth and he went on to apply it to the edification and to the profit of the brethren, not just to uh, give himself license to, to partake of things that don't matter anyway. Paul says, you know, the, the, the belly meats for the belly and the belly for meats. God will destroy both it and them. And, you know, this, this body is going is, is gonna to be, be dissolved one day, whether by death or by the rapture. So what are we, uh, what are we partaking of? What, you know, what, what importance is it that I allow myself to partake of this thing in my brother's presence when he's, when he's grieved at it and my stomach's full, but my stomach's going to perish? The attitude that I took toward him, that's what's going to go through eternity. The effects of that. Let's close up in Romans 14. So that's Paul's point here. Now, <clears throat> another, as we finish out this passage here, uh, Let's read it through. Romans 14, verse 18. For he that in these things, that is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, serveth Christ, is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. See, now before he said, destroy not the brother... Now he says, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man that eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Same thing he said over there in, in, in Corinthians. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. See again, the issue here is not, let's all go back to legalism. And, and, you know, we're going to start commanding each other to, to abstain from this, that, or the other thing, not for the law's sake, but now for love's sake. Now I'm going to command you to stop. Well, no, now you're, you're getting right back into legalism again. Paul says, you want to, uh, uh, you know, have, you've got faith to eat that ham sandwich? Great, do it. Uh, do it before God. Thank Him for it. Rejoice in it. Just don't do it in front of this brother who just came out of Judaism and just got saved and still has, a, has an issue with it. He, you got faith? Great. Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Now that's kind of a warning to that stronger brother, or at least the one who thinks that he's strong. Because a lot of times, you know, you can think... Well, I understand my liberty, and my conscience is not offended. I know I can partake of this. And you go ahead and partake, and your conscience is not so mature as, as maybe you thought it was. So Paul says, Happy is the man that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Is this something that, that your liberty, you know, 
that your liberty allows you to do, fantastic. Rejoice with the Lord between between you and Him. But keep an eye on your on your own conscience. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. There's another. We're talking about destroyed and perished and damned. Because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If I can't do it, knowing that God approves, and, and th- you know, here's a good, nah, here's, here's, a, here's a test you might, you might try. I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, this one's easy to fool yourself with too, I suppose. If, you know, is this something I, I can partake of? Do I have liberty to do this or don't I? Can you do it and thank God for it? Can you do it as unto the Lord? Thanking God. Thank you, Lord. Here I am in front of you and me and you know possibly no one else. I'm going to have my faith to myself before God. Can you do it thanking Him for it? If you got to, you know, if you if you stumble over that a little bit, you might want to think about it. So happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing that he alloweth but he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith whatsoever is not of faith is sin see when we talk about a good conscience we're talking about a good conscience a clear conscience if you got an issue with something stay away from it and if you think it's something that is going to uh, is going to be a problem uh, for for someone else forbear Certainly, in their in their presence, um, we'll stop there. Let me just say this in in closing. Paul's been telling us about our our position in Christ, and when we talk about moving from you know kind of infancy through adolescence and into maturity and into adulthood, one of the things that that we know, and I'm I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Is that you know when we're when we're babies in Christ we don't understand our position we think that everything that we think it's all about us we grow and we start to learn that it's all about Christ and it's about who we are in Him that matters and and we mature into that but even that is a kind of adolescence compared to what Paul is doing for us here. Because what Paul's doing here is he's taking us a step beyond that. He's taking us a step beyond me reckoning my own position. Because the next step is me reckoning your position. The next step to seeing myself as a new creature in Christ is seeing you as a new creature in Christ. And that's why Paul says, you know, he, he tells the Corinthians, he says, you trust that you are Christ's, even so know that we are Christ's. That's the next, that's the next step. I know that I'm going to stand before the judgment seat and I'm accountable to my Lord. That's, a, that's good. Now my next step is to apply that same knowledge to the brethren and say, He's gonna, he's gonna stand. She's gonna stand and 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 answer uh, before her Lord, his Lord, and ours. I know I'm a new creature in Christ. I have liberty. The next step is to know that you are a new creature in Christ, and that you have liberty too. And uh, I know that God loves me 
with an unconditional and undying love the next step is to know that God loves you for me to know that God loves you with an unconditional and undying love and to start acting and seeing you that way so that's what Paul is doing here he's bringing us forward bringing us on bringing us further and further into Christian Christian maturity I'm done